Hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of The Publisher Lab. I'm Tyler Bishop. Join alongside me today, as you have come to expect here recently, Miss Whitney Wright. Welcome back to the show. Hey, how's it going? So Whitney, are you getting the hang of this now? So The Publisher Lab, we, we've grown quite a bit actually over the last couple couple episodes. I don't know to give you credit. Are you are you sharing this with family and friends? Is your mom a, a listener of the podcast? Um, she probably listened to it but didn't know what I was saying. I posted on Facebook, and I, but I just said me talking about the things. So I mean, people probably looked at it, but I don't think anybody, they're just doing it because I'm, <laughs> I posted it. <laughs> Maybe, though. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's where our podcast listener growth is coming from. 100% your Facebook feed, your family and My, friends. Yeah. There's just... not many, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we certainly do appreciate all of our new listeners. And uh, I want to kind of kick things off today. We, we generally start to get into different topics um, in the world of digital publishing. But it seems like here recently uh, we're talking about nothing but the platform. So, Whitney... Um, I'm guessing that that's where we're kicking things off today. Do we have news from the platforms? As always, Facebook's in the news. Um, apparently, the I feel like this would be true for most platforms, but um, Facebook's getting, you know, it's always underneath everybody's microscope. Um, the like button is considered a risk to GDPR, um, and that is because... Um, liking something is not necessarily as much of like showing support for someone, whoever posted it, as much as it is collecting data. And um, the European Court of Justice recently ruled that widgets like uh, like buttons um, is the same as collecting data in any other way. So there needs to be some sort of privacy or, you know, you accept it every single time you like something basically to comply with GDPR, which sounds like a big hassle to me. It, it does. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. Facebook, you can pretty much um, every week you can just count on Facebook having something terrible about them released in the news. Uh, this one in particular is not necessarily terrible. It's not something they've done. But it's almost uh, fascinating to me because you can find things like um, they lost a court case last week. Mm. Um, you can read about it. But the, the thing I think is interesting is their PR strategy really seems to be like just wait till next week. It gets worse. <laughs> because I, I feel like of all the different platforms, Google, Amazon, uh, even some of the lesser ones like Twitter, I feel like somehow Facebook uh, is, is the only one that's kind of just decided like, yeah, we're just going to we're just going to take it. And I think this is a good example of um, maybe this working against them where um, I feel like this is very nitpicky. And then also this is what we were talking about last week when it comes to you know, like regulators maybe not fully understanding the ecosystem and doing things to go after the platforms that ultimately may end up harming users. So what I, where I see this maybe being a problem is um, I don't know that it's going to deter Facebook uh, from doing what they do, but it may create a whole bunch of hassle and rigmarole and things like that for, for users of the platform, which um, I don't think in all these discussions about privacy or anything else, people are saying, well, I don't want to use social media. Right. That's that's never been the the point. And I think what a lot of regulators might be trying to do right now is strip away at different elements of the platforms themselves that that actually users probably do enjoy. Yeah, and I, f I feel like this could be easily fixed with um, you know every time you log into Facebook, you just agree that anything you like is could be data collection, and that would be it. But. Um, yeah, it's it's I feel like Facebook just kind of has 
a bad reputation at this point. And yeah, they just kind of own it because, you know, they are in the news every week. But yeah, it's not stopping anybody from using it. Um, you know, people, it's a trend thing if people are using it or not. It's not necessarily about privacy. So, um, and then, yeah, this would have a lot of repercussions for a lot of social media. I mean, you know, Twitter, you can like things, um, Instagram, which is part of Facebook, you can like things, you can like things on YouTube. Um, so it wouldn't just be Facebook. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's going to be a, a huge problem. Yeah. And I think, you know, even if you're a publisher and you have a comment section or something like that, or some system of upvoting or anything along those lines, I, I think fundamentally what we're seeing is that regulators are essentially trying to, they're, they're almost regulating a punishment upon the platforms. And what I mean by that is the fundamental thing that regulators and users and the platforms, um, I guess the request is basically go back in time and make it to where when anyone created an account, you didn't just inside of the terms of service place something that said yeah it's cool if mm-hmm. you collect all my data and do all these things because yeah. fundamentally this is what you know users and regulators are saying is that you these large platforms have created a ecosystem monopoly and then forced users into um terms of service that uh violate their you know their privacy rights or something along those lines and so now we can't put the genie back in the bottle this has already been done and i think Um, The platforms have done a bad job of self-regulating and regulators have done a bad job of just knowing what's going on. And so I think that for a publisher, the lesson is basically you're not in this situation right now. And if you are, it's not to a dramatic degree. So really think about when it is popular and how to start collecting data from users and things like that. So don't be be as transparent as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. If you really have a loyal audience that does want to interact with you, then they'll be more than happy to agree that you can access their email for marketing purposes or um, you know use their information in, that they would submit to you in a survey or something like that uh, editorially. Um, I think that's all fair because I don't think people want to engage with something and then be like, oh, wait, I th- didn't know by engaging that someone was going to pay attention to this. Right. Yeah, that's the kind of backtracking is when people lose their trust ultimately. Um, but kind of sticking on the privacy um, topic, uh, the incognito loophole has officially been closed and a lot of um, publishers are suffering or not happy about it. Um, I think I read somewhere that it's about 33% of publishers um, basically lost their paywall as a Result of yeah, the, about 33% yeah. of the way uh, different publisher paywalls had been structured uh, basically ruined by the Google's incognito switch. Yeah, and um, I guess it happened kind of more quickly than um, people were anticipating or were able to prepare. But um, yeah, I think a lot of people are from both sides um, that have different opinions. You know, the publishers are... Um, pretty upset about the paywall but then you know um users are um happy to have uh the incognito loophole closed because you know it's their right to use incognito mode and they don't necessarily want someone to know that they are um but yeah we we talked about that last week as well but it is um it's officially been pushed out that is the loophole's gone so i mean the biggest thing if most publishers are going to be unaffected by this unless you do have a paywall in effect uh one thing to to, to keep in mind is if you do have some kind of special privileges for logged in users, 
uh, like they access certain parts of your site or something like that. Uh, this loophole could potentially apply to that as well. And also, uh, inside of Google Analytics, you used to be able to read when someone was browsing in incognito mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you wouldn't know that it was a specific return visitor or something like that. We could see they're browsing in incognito. And now you're losing uh, that data as well, which that's that's kind of it, it's going to get really difficult here soon for publishers um, if the primary analytics tool that they've used for such a long time, Google Analytics, mm-hmm. which is a script that lives on the page, uh, all of a sudden can't start collecting all the visitor data. Mm-hmm. This what's made it the gold standard in all of analytics. So, I mean, business intelligence software is like a, some crazy billion-dollar amount like revenue uh, just in the United States per year. And every single one of those businesses uh, touts that they are the Google Analytics of uh, Google Anal- Analytics of manufacturing analytics or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And it's because it's the best analytics. It gets all the data. It's very easy to sort. You can look at all the information. But if all of a sudden it's like, well, if they're browsing in incognito mode, then you won't have that data. Mm-hmm. Or if Firefox decides they're going to do something and remove the Google Analytics script on any page, well, anyone that's browsing on Firefox or anyone that's on a Safari mobile device. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, it's like, yeah, I've got Google Analytics data, but I don't really have all, I have incomplete information. Right. And um, that's why I think you're seeing like the emergence of things like Parsley and uh, Ezoic's big data analytics, yeah. which uh, operate at the, um, at the server level so that, you know, those web logs and things like that um, are something that can at least be tracked from a uh, from a data perspective from a publisher without having to worry about uh, a script from Google or something like that on the page. Yeah. Um, and then we have some other Google news. Um, they have they gave some advice for um, core updates. Uh, it's kind of what they've been saying before. Um, there isn't necessarily one coming up. There was just one in June, but they did say that um, there's one about every couple months, so you can guarantee there's going to be one probably in August or September. Um, but they, um, they've they reiterated that there's nothing you can do specifically to fix anything that changes, but um, what has changed is how the systems assess the content overall. Um, and this is just as far as... Um, Things that need updated, um, and the best thing you can do for your content, if especially if you're um, content that requires updating, like you're a movie website or you know there's a soap opera website, um, you know if you have something like best top 100 movies, um, you'd need to update that frequently, or you know you're gonna miss new movies that come out. Maybe you need to reorder them based on new movies that came out. Um, and so that would just be part of that new update. It was in, I believe. Um, uh, oh, that's June. No. It was Ju- it yeah, it was June in one? June. Yeah, and so they've just kind of reiterated that all you can do is um, keep your content updated and then um, write the best quality content that you can. Um, and thanks, Google. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's kind of, yeah, it's like I know. Well, it's, 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 <laughs> it's interesting because you know Google has set the precedent here recently of uh, announcing one day ahead of time that they're doing the update. Mm-hmm. So I saw there was some chatter this morning about there potentially being another one. Um, my first reaction was, well, they're always making changes. So, mm-hmm. you know, these these reports of like, oh, there may have been a shift. It All that happens to be is a handful of people on the same day, which it's August 1st, so it's the beginning of a month. So mm-hmm. user behavior, I mean, really looking at one day is kind of difficult. But if you have a bunch of publishers like, oh, uh, on the 4th of July, all of our traffic seemed to drop or something mm-hmm. like that. It's like, well, there may be some seasonal things to, to consider here. Um, 
and Google hadn't said anything yet. So typically, even if there is some kind of change, uh, it's not widespread. Usually the core ones are a little bit more wide-reaching. Um, and I think that's why Google gives everybody um, some kind of heads up. I will stick with the, the idea that there isn't anything that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, the one the one saving grace that you have is with them giving you at least one day notice that these updates are coming. Whatever day it rolls out on, like go on vacation, take a break for a day or two. <laughs> and I say that one for your own sanity, but also the second being you don't want to do anything on your website those two days. You want basically a green room where mm-hmm. you essentially can come back, look at what happened to your traffic. Did it go up? Did it go? If it went up, great. If it went down, then rather than saying like, oh, like how was I affected by this? You know for a fact that it was something in the algorithm. Right. And you can go back and you can take an objective look at your content. However, um, if you on that exact same day, you know, like change your menu structure or, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen all kinds of crazy stuff where I've had publishers tell me I was hit by an algorithm update. And then in the same breath, tell me that's also the day that we moved from WordPress to this CMS and we changed right. our theme. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, it could it could easily be either of those things, yeah, you know could what be I mean, anything. and not and you'll never know. Right. There's no way of knowing, and um, for for sure. And so I, I I think that that's probably the best piece of advice I can give you is just yeah. uh, try to make your decision making as as clean as possible. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then kind of uh, one of the last topics. This is um, more about collecting data, but it's um, kind of this trend towards. Um, and I've seen this definitely on a lot of websites that I've been on. There's, uh, you know, a quick one question survey that pops up. You know, how are you liking our content? Would you recommend us to a friend? Um, and it's kind of competing against the more traditional metrics of, you know, page views or unique visitors. Um, and this was an article by DigiDay, and their suggestion was that they should be treated differently because they are different. Um, but they should, you should be balanced with both because you're getting t- different types of information. Um, you know, the, the audience, um, what they say they like isn't necessarily, um, uh, or let me say value does not always mean page views. And so, you know, what, you could have some like pretty basic content that people just love because it's easy to read or like, I don't know, is entertaining. Um, but that's not, might not be your most valuable content, which would be more like page views and audience engagement, um, things that people would stay on longer. And so, um, as that trend might continue increasing, um, it's important to keep a balance between the two and separate them and don't treat them the same or one or the other. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. Uh, we talk, we've talked about this before when talking about subscriptions in that, um, you know, like if you think you're going to charge for a subscription, you better have content that is not a commodity that no one else can provide, which means there's some, if it's entertainment based, meaning like you're writing an editorial or something, people must really love whatever reporters you have or the source of information that you have because they have to want that so bad that they're willing to put money out for, Mm -hmm. which is really rare for written content. Um, Or it has to be content you can't get anywhere else, like research Mm -hmm. or something proprietary that no one else could share someplace else. A good example of a site that I saw had done this recently, and it's connected to a research element. It was a uh, web property that basically they would buy uh, off-the-shelf dietary supplements, Mm -hmm. and then they would have them tested by labs to figure out Mm -hmm. like the... If you know if something said it had 500 milligrams of vitamin B mm-hmm. in it, they would test and say, "Well, we tested it, and on average, this brand 
actually only had 600 mill or had 600 milligrams mm-hmm. or even more or less or whatever. Um, that's something that it's like they're doing some pretty deep research. And I think, you know, that information isn't available other places. Mm-hmm. That makes sense that they would charge for it. Um, but there's definitely a cost associated with them producing that kind of content right. as well. And so I think it's really important to understand the value that you do provide your visitors. Um, a good example is if right now you rank really high for a bunch of keywords and people search and come to your website. Mm-hmm. And even though you might get tons of traffic, you mentioned page use not being necessarily a, um, a highlight of value, mm-hmm. you know, those visitors may just be coming because your site ranks the highest for those mm-hmm. keywords. And the only reason that is because Google is favoring you right now, mm-hmm. uh, maybe because of domain authority, maybe because of backlinks. Maybe it is that the content is that good, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that somebody else can't come along and produce better content. And I think it's very important to not to to not misunderstand um, uh, viewer opportunity for mm-hmm. for uh, viewer uh, value or loyalty. Yeah. So just because you the viewer finds you due to opportunity doesn't necessarily mean they found you because they sought you out specifically. Yeah. And I I think um, someone can happen upon your website or you'll have value uh, people that value your website and your content just because they enjoy your particular website. And that in turn will, could possibly increase your rankings and such, but it doesn't necessarily work the other way. Um, I think it's more likely to work towards um, growing your audience base and then uh, you will rank higher rather than people ranking and, you know, fight, reading the content that they want and then deciding that they're really, really loyal to your content. It takes a little, way more time to do it that way. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. And uh, I, I would, if I was, if I was a publisher right now and I was thinking about the value that I provided my visitors, I would want feedback on this, especially as if it's me, my business, I'm trying to figure out how do I provide some type of ancillary value beyond what other people are, probably in search results. It's where most publishers mm-hmm. are getting a lot of their traffic. So how do I take my brand, my publishing business to to adding that extra layer of value? And I do think surveys can do that. I don't think that some kind of universal uh, survey metric or something like mm-hmm. that is is here to solve anybody's problems. But uh, that being said, I, I the spirit of that is good. Yeah. What we have one more topic or are we out for the day? Whitney? Um, let's see. We have a couple more we could talk about. We can talk about Hearst uh, building a self serve platform for ad build- buying, or um, this kind of new wave of supply path optimization and programmatic supply chain. Let's talk about Hearst. Let's finish on <laughs> yeah. that one. We haven't talked about them in a while. Yeah. Um. So Hearst is building a self serve platform for ad buying that would work much like Facebook's. Um, and it would be called, it's going to be called Hearst Audience Select. Uh, it's for smaller, um, advertisers, um, you know, startups. And so these, they have better access to Hearst products or publishing like Cosmo Esquire and, um, Car and Driver more easily. Um, and it's supposed to launch before Q4 ad campaigns. Is what I read. Well, that's a great time to launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes sense. Uh, this has been kind of so. This is a long time coming, and it's a complete reverse of position from what you saw major publishers doing five or six years ago. Which five or six years ago, the Hearst's of the world, and not to put words in Hearst's mouth, they may have not been the exact one saying this, but the vast majority of that space was, which is publishers provide value that platforms and programmatic cannot. You should work with platforms directly. We're not gonna 
I mean, BuzzFeed held out on programmatic until like a year or two ago. And so now everybody's doing a complete 180. And instead of saying you should work with us directly via, you know, our sales team or what our PMP deals or anything mm-hmm. like that, they're 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 basically wanting to become ad networks themselves. So yeah, right. her solution to uh, ad networks and programmatic ad buying is to become uh, ad network themselves to yeah, a certain right. extent, <laughs> which is what's going on here. Uh, because what you're going to see is uh, Hearst not only provide access to their platforms, but my guess is you're going to hear Hearst. Uh, start reaching out to publishers and saying, hey, how would you like to be, you know, uh, a Hearst certified publishing brand or something mm-hmm. like that? And that really not accounting to anything more than like, let us put our ad tags on your website, just right. like any other ad network. Um, I could be wrong, but that seems like where it's going. I think that if you're a publisher that it's reached that size right now, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, as someone that buys a lot of ad- uh, online advertising, it's intriguing to me from the standpoint of uh, a lot of times I am looking for premium ad inventory. Mm-hmm. I do want to advertise on the tech crunches and the New York Times of the world. Mm-hmm. And I want that ad space uh, in the technology section or whatever it is. And it's I don't want to talk to a salesperson. I don't want to email mm-hmm. back and forth. I don't want to quote or an invoice. I just mm-hmm. want to buy ads the way I buy ads yeah. through Google. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we can all lament the platforms as much as we want, but they're in the position they're in because they've built something that's very easy, intuitive, and scalable. And I think if you're a publisher, that that's uh, attractive. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I know publishers, you know, other publishers have tried to do this um, and they haven't had as much success, but I think Hearst is kind of in a good position. It has so many different um, types of content and things that it does. And it's, it is a publisher more than, you know, like the Amazon or Facebook, you know, those are more platforms. And um, this is kind of the first more publisher facing, um, I guess, direction, like going in this direction, which um, could be good, could be bad. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I think we're going to find out. Uh, I, my, this, this to me uh, looks like one of those things that kind of never quite gets all the way off the ground. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you hear about it for a little while and then it kind of fizzles. But mm-hmm. I might be wrong. I've been wrong about these things before. Um, and I think that's a great way to wrap this podcast up is I've been <laughs> wrong about these things before. Um, we've had our producer, Alan, here sitting quiet here the whole time. Alan, do you have any thoughts on the things that we talked about here today? Do you, do you find that I'm wrong most of the time? No. Ironically, you tend to be right most of the time with things that I look, you know, when I we, fact check you. We, we we wrote that down for him to say that. <laughs> yeah, I'm holding a little card right here. <laughs> we don't, we're right. not doing zero fact checking. No, just kidding. Um, no, but besides that, you know, we are growing as the Publisher Lab and our, our listenership is growing. So we want to hear from you. You know, if you have any ideas, you can tweet us at Ezoic. Uh, we know you're listening. So if you can go to Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you're listening on and give us uh, your thoughts and a review, we'd really appreciate it. Couldn't said it better myself, Alan. Thanks for um, listening, everyone. Whitney, any parting thoughts? Uh, not right now. <laughs> Maybe later. We'll, yeah, it'll it's be the like end of the week. It'll be <laughs> ready for Friday. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Publisher Lab. We'll catch you next time.